Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week, we'll be discussing Avenue Q. First, as always, I have to ask, how are you doing? I hope this has been a good week for you. If it's been a long week for you, if it has been stressful or busy as all get out, I hope that you are able to take some time for yourself. I hope that you have an event, a get-together, a meeting with friends sometime in the near future that you can look forward to because... As I remind myself all the time, it's really the little things in life that get you through those long weeks. It's the little things that you can look forward to. Patty, I look forward to seeing you every week. You are absolutely glowing. I know you don't like for us to, you know, provide baby updates every week, but I I just got to say, it it really does astound me. You you are absolutely glowing. You're betific. May I say (laughs) betific? Thank you. Patty is nodding. She's giving me the go-ahead to grant her the adjective betific. Patty, I got to tell you, speaking of the little things, I am getting a real kick out of this new variant on 5678 Coffee. Now, I know we're, we're saving it, right? Our, our sponsor, uh, our little, our, our mascot for this week, our, our little. We love all of our 5678 sponsor mascots each and every week. They, they come in. They do such a great job. Uh, she's going to give you the full rundown on this new 5678 variant. For my two cents, I'm just going to tell you it's delicious. Run. Don't walk. Run. Don't walk to your nearest store and pick this up because it's fantastic. I'm going to have a sip right now. It's delicious. It really is, honestly. And especially in the morning time. Oh, fantastic. We don't have any opening segment this week. Let's dive right in to the show facts regarding Avenue Q, shall we? Avenue Q is part of a long comedic tradition that takes our expectation of puppets that they are meant for children and upends them for the sake of raunchy adult humor. Now, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I've put together a rough timeline that chronicles the history of adult puppet humor. So the earliest example I could find was The Land of Gorch from 1975. This was a regular segment during the first season of Saturday Night Live, I believe, and it featured official Jim Henson puppets, but <laughs> this being Saturday Night Live, they were they were not quite ready for prime time. They were these very raunchy, disgusting, monstrous creatures. Think a combination of big, hulking, mammoth-like beasts and Skeksis 
pterodactyl dinosaur creatures, and they talked about being horny, and they talked about smoking marijuana. So as you can see, this timeline is starting off with a segment that really sets the bar at a certain place. (laughs) The humor is going to be low, low brow. That's where the bar is going to be for this comedy. In 1989, we have Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles. In 1997, we have the introduction of Triumph, the insult comic dog to the world. TV Funhouse, the series in 2000. Puppets Who Kill in the year 2002. 2002, very crowded year for adult puppet humor, and we really take the ball in 2002, and we run with it for the next few years. Uh, We also have Crank Yankers in 2002, Greg the Bunny in 2002, and then, of course, Avenue Q drops on Broadway in 2003. Uh, Jeff Dunham uh, premiered his first special with Comedy Central, Comedy Central Presents, in 2003. And then in 2004, so again, back to back to back, 2004, we have Team America World Police, which is easily one of the most high-profile projects on this list. We have Wonder Shows in, I think that was on MTV or maybe MTV2 in 2005. Uh, We have Felt, an improvised puppet show here at IO Chicago. That's been running for years. That started in 2006 and is still running to this day. And then the most recent infamously bad example of this kind of humor was The Happy Time Murders, uh, starring Melissa McCarthy. That was released just last year in 2018. That was directed by Jim Henson's son, Brian Henson. So we started our timeline with a Jim Henson connection, and we are ending our timeline with a Jim Henson connection. Avenue Q has roots in a film that the show's creators, Robert Lopez and Jeff Marks, created. That film was called Kermit, Prince of Denmark. They submitted this film to the Jim Henson Company, and it was ultimately rejected. Uh, I think it was more of a proof of concept than anything else, but the pitch they submitted was rejected. Lopez and Marks knew they wanted to keep pursuing their love of puppetry, so they conceived a parody of Sesame Street that would eventually become Avenue Q. The project was initially pitched as a TV variety show before transforming into a stage musical. Ultimately, Avenue Q would be known as the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical at the 2004 Tony Ceremony. Uh, There was an off-Broadway run for some time before it officially opened on Broadway on July 31st, 2003 at the John Golden Theater. It was there that it ran for 2,534 performances before closing in September 2009. It reopened off-Broadway one month later, October 2009, at New World Stages and has been running ever since, though it is currently scheduled to close in May of this year. My question is, when are we getting a movie? That seems inevitable, right? After such a long run, you'd think that the men and women behind this brain would be desperate for it to continue in some capacity. But then again, you know, I mentioned the Happy Time murders. Uh, I, I really should have made this connection sooner. The failure of the Happy Time murders, I think, would make it very hard for studio heads, executives, producers to get behind a project like Avenue Q. Uh, so uh, now I'm now I'm questioning myself. The movie might be a bad idea, actually. The show currently sits at number 24 on Wikipedia's list of longest-running Broadway shows, between Mary Poppins at number 23, which has 2,619 performances on the book, and last week's subject, The Producers, which is number 25, 2,500. 
2002. The show opened in Las Vegas in September 2005 at the Wynn Hotel and Casino, where the owner, Steve Wynn, had built a 1,200-seat theater specifically for the production. Despite Wynn's heavy promotion and a trimmed runtime of 90 minutes with no intermission, the show was unable to really capture the attention of tourists and closed after nine months. This wasn't entirely a bad thing, speaking of the people behind this brand, because Wynn had made it impossible for the show to tour while it was at his venue. He had an exclusive contract, an exclusive hold on that show, and so once it closed in Vegas, they were actually able to start making a ton of money, I assume, on North American and international touring productions. I mention this because uh, the creators of the show wrote a special song to help promote that Vegas production. It's called Only in Vegas and features a very unsettling puppet version of Steve Wynn. They they do Steve Wynn a lot of favors with that puppet design. They make him look a lot more... (laughs) A lot more charming uh, and less craggy, I would say. If I was him, I'd be very flattered by the puppet version of Steve Wynn. Uh, The the song also includes references to that exclusive hold he had over the show, as well as jokes about prostitution. Oh, it's not a funny song. I think I'll likely play a clip from it in the show-related ephemera. There's not a lot of bite to it, is what I'm trying to say. The Book of Avenue Q was written by Jeff Witte. The music and lyrics were by Robert Lopez and Jeff Marks. The director of the original Broadway production was Jason Moore. The musical director was Gary Adler. The choreographer was Ken Roberson. The set design was by Anna Luizos. Lighting design by Howell Brinkley. Binkley, I apologize, Binkley. Costume design by Marina Rada. And the puppet design was by Rick Lyon, who also built the original puppets. Uh, so he designed and built them, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, he also played Nikki Trekkie and one of the Bad Idea Bears as part of the original Broadway cast. Lion's company, Lion Puppets, continues to build and maintain or supervise the construction of the puppets for North American and international productions. So good on you, Rick Lion. You, of all of the people behind this brand, I would think that he is one of the people that is making the most money off of this to this day. The original Broadway cast included Jennifer Barnard, Natalie Venetia Belkin, Stephanie D'Abruzzo, Jody Eichelberger, Jordan Gelber, Anna Harada, Peter Linz, Rick Lyon, of course, and John Tartaglia. Tartaglia, Abruzzo, Barnhart, and Lyon were all veterans of Sesame Street before being cast in Avenue Q. So talk about getting the top tier for your parody version. Uh, despite that pedigree, Avenue Q made it clear it had no connection with the Sesame Street Workshop or the Jim Henson Company. I doubt any legal action would have been taken in the absence of such a disclaimer, as Avenue Q clearly falls under the protected realm of parody, but better safe than sorry, I suppose, especially when you consider again, the Happy Time murders. God knows the Happy Time murders saw its fair share of uh, legal blowback from the Sesame creators over a simple tagline. Uh, the movie's tagline, if you, if you never heard this, was No Sesame, All Street. Oh boy. The makers of the Happy Time Murders were sued by the Sesame Workshop over that tagline, though a judge wound up ruling in favor of those behind the film. I'd say this was a victory for Brian Henson, the director of the Happy Time Murders, but the film made $27 million 
worldwide. So yeah, not exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I could. I don't think that's a feather you want to stick in your cap. I don't think you want to call that macaroni anytime soon. Uh, so the overall set of Tony nods. Let's look at all of the awards that this was nominated for and won. So of course it won Best Musical. It won Best Book of a Musical, which went to Jeff Whitty. Uh, Robert Lopez and Jeff Marks took home the award for Best Original Score. They won that. Uh, Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical. John Tartagli was nominated for that. Uh, Stephanie D'Abruzzo was nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical. And uh, Jason Moore was uh, nominated for Best Direction of a Musical. So ultimately, six nominations, three wins. I don't think it would really help us to do a straight through line description of the plot. We're just going to go character by character. I'm going to give you a little description of each of these guys and gals, if you will. So Princeton is technically our lead. He is a puppet character on stage. Uh, I believe Princeton is uh, 22. He's right out of college. He has a BA in English, as he sings about at one point. And throughout the show, he's trying to find his purpose. He's a young adult entering into the real world for the first time, and he is desperate to figure out what he is meant to do, who he is meant to be. And he meets a another puppet character, Kate Monster. Uh, Kate Monster is not a human puppet. She, again, she is a monster. It's right there in her name. Uh, Kate Monster is an assistant kindergarten teacher. Uh, I believe her supervisor, the head teacher at uh, the kindergarten school, is Mrs. Thistletwat. Uh, that's right. So you can already get a sense of what that minor character would be like. Uh, Mrs. Thistletwat was renamed Mrs. Butts. That's B-U-T-Z. Uh, for Avenue Q School Edition. That is the official name of the school edition. It's not Avenue Q The School Edition. It's Avenue Q School Edition. It's like a robot came up with this shit. Kate Monster, she's very focused on her career. She wants to be a kindergarten teacher. She really likes teaching small children, but she is also, she's in the market. She's in the market for love, romance. She wants a boyfriend. And Princeton and Kate Monster come together romantically over the course of the show, and they sort of fall apart as well because uh, Princeton, at a certain point, uh, panics. He starts to uh, get a little insecure his confidence is lost, and he sort of abandons Kate Monster during their relationship. And Kate becomes very determined to take what she wants when she can get it, when she's in her prime as she sings. Ultimately, at the end of the show, Princeton asks for her to take him back. He realizes that he's been a complete shit heel, and he is also trying to help her achieve her dream. Kate Monster has another dream just beyond getting a man. She, her dream is to open a special school specifically dedicated to help serving monsters. She wants to help monsters in her community, and that's what Princeton sort of latches on to. He raises money to help her get this school together, get it built, and at the end of the show, it's it's implied that she says, we'll take our relationship one day at a time. <laughs> she, she's, she's very reticent to say, I'm going to take you back. She sees that there is a, a softness within him, a need for him to show her that he is a good person. Now, one could argue that's not exactly not exactly the best basis for a relationship. They really shouldn't be together. I'd describe Princeton as a shitheel. He's trying his best, but sometimes your best just ain't enough, Princeton. Fuck off. We also have Brian and Christmas Eve. 
These are human characters played by human actors on stage. Uh, Brian is a struggling stand-up comedian. I believe he's 33 as he sings, and he is married to Christmas Eve. So Brian is white, and his wife, Christmas Eve, is a first-generation Japanese immigrant named Christmas Eve. (laughs) And she came to America looking for opportunity, and she has two master's degrees, uh, but she cannot find clients. She is a therapist, but she is, at this point, uh, very unsuccessful. She does not have a single official client. And they get married throughout the course of the show. They've been engaged, I believe, for quite some time in a sort of guys and dolls-like scenario, but they do officially get married. Uh, They don't have a lot of bearing on the plot. They are very much in support of other storylines. But I think Christmas Eve, I think it's safe to say that she was one of the breakout characters uh, from the show. In a little bit, I'll talk about the casting controversy that comes with a character like Christmas Eve, because a lot of companies have tried to get around the fact that the character is explicitly written to be Japanese. She states that in the dialogue. But again, we'll get to that in a little bit. Want to get a better idea of these other characters. So Rod and Nikki uh, have a lot of stage time. These are two puppet characters. Uh, They are roommates. They have been friends for years and years, but they're kind of butting heads. They're very much supposed to be a parody of Sesame Street's Bert and Ernie. Nikki is a slob. He takes uh, Rod for granted to a certain degree. And Rod is a very uptight, closeted Republican. Nikki is... He is semi-obsessed with getting Rod to admit that he is gay. He doesn't actually know that Rod is gay. He doesn't have any evidence or declarations of identity from Rod on record. But Nikki is just, it's his instinct. It's his instinct as this straight character that his friend is gay. And he tries to pull it out of Rod throughout, I'd say, the the majority of the first half of the show. Uh, This whole thing reads as quite dated in 2019, as you can imagine. This idea that someone is trying to pull a revelation out of someone to make them admit it. Stop playing detective. Don't be a Nikki. okay? This is a Goofus and Gallon situation. I'm not saying you should be Rod. I don't think you should be a, a gay Republican because gay Republicans, gay, 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 gay Republicans. Oh, goodness gracious. Can you feel your skin just getting all sort of goose bumpy? Can you feel your hackles going up? I certainly can feel mine going up. Rod, I should say, is secretly in love with Nikki, but he kicks Nikki out of the apartment that they share when the question of his orientation comes up yet again. It is made public by Nikki at Brian and Christmas Eve's wedding ceremony. This infuriates Rod, and so he kicks Nikki out of the apartment. Nikki makes it up to Rod by hooking him up with a character named Ricky. This is another puppet character. Ricky is a very muscular puppet who looks exactly like Nikki. Not sure what was being said in 2003 with this final plot point between Nikki and Rod. This idea that, oh yeah, I'm in love with Nikki, but if you find me someone who just looks exactly like Nikki, I'll be perfectly happy with that. A creepy like Jordan Peele us doppelganger Xerox version of you? Yeah, that's fine. No, their personalities are going to be completely different, Nikki. What makes you think that this is going to work? I guess I am supposed to think that Nikki is just this complete bozo of a straight character that doesn't really get what it means to be gay, even though he claims that uh, he's okay with people who are gay. He claims that, you know, he would want to 
be seen as progressive. But that final plot moment, that beat where Ricky shows up and Rod is so excited and happy, it's it's just very strange. We have a, a monster, another monster character known as Trekkie Monster. Uh, Trekkie Monster, I believe, is uh, vaguely agoraphobic. I believe he never comes out of his apartment on Avenue Q. Uh, the character, as written, was originally supposed to be a Star Trek fanatic before that was changed to a fanaticism for porn. The school edition changed this as well. Uh, I, I hate to keep <laughs> throwing stuff to later points in the show. I hate to be the guy that's like, oh, we'll get to that. But I want to. I want to save that that school edition change for later. It's oh boy, it makes me go to sleep. Is what it does. Gary Coleman is a character in the show, a human character played by a human actor on stage, not a puppet. Uh, Gary Coleman played Arnold Jackson in the 1980 sitcom Different Strokes. And if you don't know anything about that show, don't feel bad. It debuted over 40 years ago at this point. It was already a moldy reference in 2003. It's basically inexplicable in 2019. So I can't imagine how it will read another decade or so from now. The role of of Gary Coleman is normally portrayed by a black woman, though I'm not sure why. I don't understand the casting of a woman as Gary Coleman. Is that... Is that part of the joke? If so, can someone explain the joke to me? Because I'm kind of at a loss. I need assistance, is what I'm trying to say. Apparently, the creators of Avenue Q wanted Gary Coleman to play the role himself, but he never showed up to a meeting they had scheduled to discuss that opportunity. Gary Coleman then threatened to sue the creators of the show over their depiction of him, Again, I don't really know why. It's getting your name out into the zeitgeist. Why are you complaining about this? Did it have something to do with the fact that a woman played him? Was he offended by that? I'm, I'm obsessed with this really weird little moment in history. Uh, nothing came of those legal threats, by the way. Uh, the Off-Broadway and Dallas touring productions of the show dedicated performances to Gary Coleman when he passed away in 2010, and uh, the dialogue for the role has apparently been tweaked to reflect his passing just just let Gary Coleman exist on stage if we're if we're actually referencing his death via dialogue that's just odd and morbid. I don't think that's entirely necessary. There is a character known officially as Lucy the Slut. Lucy the Slut is a puppet. She has enormous breasts with very clear cleavage. Uh, she is known simply as Lucy in Avenue Q, School Edition, beep boop, one zero one zero one one one. So they cut the slut and just they know her as Lucy in the School Edition because only adults are apparently allowed to call women they barely know sluts. Teenagers, that's wrong. You have to wait a few years, you know? Wait until you're 18, 21, then you can start laughing and calling women sluts. I- I'm going to ask this several times regarding the Avenue Q School Edition Beep Bop Boop 101010111 Reboot. I, I just don't understand why it exists and why they made the changes that they did. Because if, if you have to make Avenue Q safe, the whole point of Avenue Q is that it's not safe. I guess I'm just getting into this now. If the whole point is that it's not safe, why are you giving it over to children and why are you neutering it for the sake of not offending their parents. Are you, you're just admitting that you want money? You want that money, that sweet, sweet green? Fine. You're not really an anarchic rebel artist, are you? You're not really thumbing a nose to the system if you're so 
obviously working within it. Oh, we got to get that school money. Kids love puppets. Whatever. Take whatever you want out. Defang the entire piece. I don't care. Not that the piece is like on its own some brilliant. Can you can you understand that I don't like the show? As that been made obvious yet. And then finally rounding out uh, the characters, we have the bad idea bears. These characters, I believe, are heard for maybe one line on the original Broadway cast album. They are these little tiny teddy bear like puppets. I would say that they are the angel and the devil on the shoulders of the various characters, but they are known as the bad idea bears. They are both devilish little gremlin creatures who inspire the characters in the show to make terrible decisions. Uh, so yeah, there we go. That's that's the whole breakdown. I mean, that that really is it. Uh, if, you, if you didn't really get a sense of the plot overall, that's because it's sort of all over the place. Uh, the song deconstruction portion of the show will allow us to dive into the ins and outs of that, but it, it really is. It's like a ping pong ball bouncing all over the place, and you kind of have to you have to ground yourself. You kind of have to sit firmly and, and pay attention as much as you can because the show is not going to captivate your attention. It's not going to seduce you. It's not going to bring you in. You really have to like keep your eyes open, you know, Kubrickian style and just stare right at it or else you're going to be like me this, you know, this past week. You're going to find yourself really glazing over while listening. Uh, there are three types of puppets that are utilized throughout the show. I was really interested in this section of Wikipedia uh, just the, the actual mechanics of the puppetry I was really interested in. So uh, we have single and double rod puppets. That's one category. Uh, single rod puppets feature one animated arm that can sort of be manipulated via a rod, while the, the puppet's other arm remains in a fixed pose. Double rod puppets feature two animated arms. Uh, examples of this in Avenue Q include Princeton, who is a single rod puppet, so he's got the one arm that can move around, and Rod is a double rod puppet, so he can can move both of his arms. Live hand puppets, that's the second category. Uh, live hand puppets are operated by two puppeteers. So one puppet operated by two puppeteers, and each puppeteer is contributing uh, one hand and one arm that is sort of clothed and styled to match the puppet's appearance. Uh, examples from the show include uh, Trekkie Monster, who is modeled after another live hand puppet, uh, Cookie Monster, of course, from Sesame Street. And then the third and final category of puppets utilized in Avenue Q uh, they are known as special puppets, special specialty puppets. Uh, one example of this is the mechanism puppet. A mechanism puppet is operated by a concealed trigger that causes the puppet's mouth to open and close like a trash can, essentially. And then there are freehand puppets. Uh, their hands are not manipulated via rods, as we described earlier. The puppeteer has to physically pick up the arms and move them around. Did you notice how my around kind of went around? That's because I was burping. <laughs> We're leaving that in. You know, we cut a lot of stuff to sort of make make me sound good, and I appreciate that. Really, I do every week. But we're going to have to keep that in. Around. I'm a disgusting little wretch. I'm a little gremlin goblin is what I am. Uh, so examples of uh, these puppets, these specialty puppets, include the talking cardboard boxes. There are some talking cardboard boxes. Those are mechanism puppets. And then Ricky, uh, the clone of Nikki, who is gay that I mentioned, uh, he's a freehand puppet. For the purposes of this episode, I listened to the 2003 original Broadway cast album. If you'll recall from last week, uh, this album was on heavy rotation for me during my time in college. I didn't love Avenue Q back then. I don't necessarily think I was a fanatic for it, but I definitely really, really liked it in college. Again, just as a reminder and to age myself, because I'm an Egyptian mummy made alive again by Frankenstein technology, I went to college from 2004 through 
2008. That is definitely prime Avenue Q listening time. I, of course, also watched the Tony's clip. It's telling that someone made the decision for the purposes of the Tony ceremony that the cast was going to sing the song It Sucks to Be Me, which is from a very early moment in the show, rather than the song Everyone's a Little Bit Racist, which was easily the breakout song everyone was talking about. It was the most controversial. It was just so wild and crazy. This song, everybody's a little bit racist. Oh, it's so crazy. Maybe racist wasn't chosen for primetime airwaves because it's controversial for all the wrong reasons. And on some level, we understood that. It's not a matter of, you know, we had to take time to learn that it was irresponsible. Maybe we knew it was irresponsible even back then, and we just weren't willing to admit it. The official Avenue Q theme, which is the opening track to the original Broadway cast album, it's going to start us off here on the song deconstruction portion of the episode. It really is. It's a damn good parody, and it evokes Sesame Street in such a good way. It presents the show's comedic spine, this track, uh, that adult life is a burden. That's sort of the comedic thesis here. Uh, It delivers that with a confidence that is actually quite calm and reassuring. That confidence that we get in this first track will eventually erode. It will give way to a sweaty spinning of the wheels once the creators understand that that's the only joke that they have, that their their comedic spine, their thesis doesn't really inspire a lot of smaller ideas, more complex ideas. They kind of do seem overall to be stuck in that original idea that adult life is a burden, and we never really take off from there. It tricks you. This opening track tricks you into thinking we're going to have a really interesting time at the theater, but it's a false promise. It really is. During this track, when the cast declares Quote, you are 22 and you live on Avenue Q. I had to reckon with the fact that this show no longer wants to or can relate to me, the musical man, John Pernasek. I'm not 22. I'm 33. And the problems these characters face are no longer my own. I don't face these same uh, struggles necessarily, these these anxieties. That's not the show's fault. It's not the show's fault that I aged out of it. I'm not going to ding it because I've aged out of its key demographic. Uh, doing that is how you become a bitter old man. Instead, I'm going to ding it for dozens of other much more justifiable reasons. Don't worry about that. What do you do? With the B.A. in English, what is my life going to be? Four years of college and plenty of knowledge have earned me this useless degree. I can't pay the bills yet, cause I have no skills yet. The world is a big scary place. But somehow I can't shake the feeling I might make a difference to the human race. The combo track of What Do You Do With a B.A. in English slash It Sucks to Be Me, I pretty much have the lyrics of this opening number memorized. When I listened to it this week, I was sort of astounded by how quickly it all came back to me. So I found myself 
And, and rather than focusing on the lyrics, which I knew so well, I found myself focusing on a very specific element of the orchestration, and that's the keyboard. There's a keyboard on this track, which definitely sounds outdated now. It's, it's a very subtle part of the orchestration. I think they were smart enough to push it toward the back when it came to the mixing of everyone, but I never thought that Avenue Q would literally sound dated. I knew some of its messaging was very dated, but the score itself? Jacques surprise! Oh my god, <laughs> during this moment, during this song, I realized that Brian is 32. When I was little, I thought I would be what? a big comedian on late night TV. <laughs> oh. But now I'm 32, and as you can see, I'm not. Nope. Oh well. Mm-hmm. It sucks to be me. No. It sucks to be me. No. It sucks to be broke and unemployed and turning 33. It sucks to be me. You think your life sucks? I think so. Brian is 32. I mentioned, right, that I'm 33. Brian wants to be a comedian. I'm 33 and took way too many improv and sketch classes. And when I when I realized that Brian was 32 and I was technically older than him, I, I thought to myself, does this spell trouble for me? But then I reminded myself, no, you got out. You're not singing, you're not standing on stage at some cabaret space talking about how you're not wearing underwear today. We're skipping over that song. Don't don't expect some sort of deconstruction of I am not wearing underwear today. Today. You ain't getting it. Oh, why do I care about some gay guy you met, okay? I am trying to read. Well, I didn't mean anything by it, Rod. I, I just think it's something we should be able to talk about. Well, I do not want to talk about it, Nikki. This conversation is over. Yeah, but Rod... Over! Well, okay. But just so you know, if you were gay, that'd be okay. I mean, cause hey... I'd like you anyway Because you see If it were me I would feel free to say That I was gay But I'm not gay I do appreciate Rod's choice in literature The book he is reading during the song If You Were Gay is Broadway musicals Of the 1940s Of course, as the musical man I'm going to (laughs) empathize with that interest Even if I do disagree with Rod politically I I can say, hey not Good on you for uh, grabbing that book off the shelf I have to wonder, is Rod still a Republican today? God, I hope not Log cabin Republicans just chalk-faced quivering bird bots. That's what I wrote down. Chalk-faced quivering bird bots. No, thank you. A note for Nikki in this scene. Uh, I'm just going to remind you very calmly this time. Rod's journey is not yours to guide. Stop trying to push him out of the closet in the name of helping him. You're not helping him or anyone by doing this. Bad Nikki, bad Nikki, bad, bad, bad Nikki. I need to save my holier-than-thou invective for the racism song, so I'll excuse the outdated messaging of this number and admit that it still works for me on a very, very, very superficial slash doofy level. I'll give it that. What will it be? Where will it be? My purpose in life is a mystery. Find my purpose. Gotta find me. Even at two and a half minutes, 
this song, Purpose, it seems padded. Like an improvised song that has clearly gone on too long because the improviser is determined to legitimize it by giving himself or herself more stage time, come hell or high water. I I, I don't have any experience with that, of course. I've always been a very... I've been an improviser of remarkable restraint, I would say, coughs openly. Purpose, like other character songs we hear throughout this show, seems out of place to me in the structure. Let's just talk about the structure of the show, how all of these segments are sort of ordered. I think it all boils down to the fact that Avenue Q really is. It's a sketch review badly disguised as a linear, properly Broadway book musical. You wouldn't necessarily recognize this as a problem while the show is unfolding, unspooling in front of you, but afterwards as you're walking home, it clicks. In a traditional book musical, purpose would be considered Princeton's I Want song, the moment of self-actualization that propels him into a big narrative arc. But what the creators actually want to commit to is not that. They want to commit to a loose, shaggy ensemble piece that allows them to tell jokes and goof off. These two warring instincts never make peace with each other. They never coalesce. And so Princeton's story, his search for purpose, comes off as incredibly pointless. It's a hasty injection meant to trick us into thinking the show itself has purpose, has a focus, but I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it at all. (laughs) If you think I'm being an asshole now, get ready, because now let's talk about everyone's a little bit racist. Between me and you, I think everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. Doesn't mean we go around committing hate crimes. Look around and you will find no one's really colorblind. Maybe it's a fact we all should face. Everyone makes judgments. No, not big judgments like who to hire or who to buy a newspaper from. No. No, just little judgments like thinking that Mexican busboys should learn to speak goddamn English. Right. Of course, as always, I'm serious. If you disagree with any of what I'm about to say, if you believe you have a firm, constructive rebuttal of what I'm about to say or in regards to anything I have said, I want to read your responses via email. Uh, That email address is musicalmanpod at gmail.com. So again, if you're a fan of Avenue Q to this day and you have a firm, constructive defense of it, please, I of course want to hear that rebuttal. Uh, When talking about this song, Everyone's a Little Bit Racist, We need to emphasize how much credit the song received back in the day. You know, we might have been a little, we might have been made a little uncomfortable by it, but for the most part, we acted like this song was a true success in terms of shock humor, in terms of really cutting to the bone of society. We gave it so much credit. Wikipedia points out how Avenue Q, quote, received many favorable reviews for its approach on topics like racism. Wikipedia goes on to state that, quote, the show addresses adult themes that are inappropriate for younger children, such as racism. And that really threw me for a loop, this bit of editorializing from Wikipedia, because since when is racism a subject that's inappropriate to discuss with children? Who's making that call, Wikipedia? Stop editorializing and stop pretending as if children's programming like Sesame Street. Don't pretend like that didn't tackle racism on the regular. 
Shut up. Back to the song. Everyone's a little bit racist is dangerous. It's dangerous. It normalizes charges of, quote, reverse or anti-white racism. It dismisses any and all concerns from minority communities as the result of their being too sensitive and too politically correct. And it ends on a defeatist note by claiming nothing can be really done about racism. Where's the call for real self-examination and change? The push to become better allies for those who are not like you, not like the listener. Where, where is that? We don't get it. All we get is, quote, you know, this is a paraphrase, but quote, everyone's racist. No one can honestly claim they're a victim of it. So stop crying about your identity and grow a pair. That's what I take from this song. Some of the wilder moments from this song include Princeton accusing Kate Monster of being racist for wanting to create a school that serves her community. Kate accepting this judgment instead of calling him out for being full of shit. Kate and Princeton finding comfort in the fact that they're only casually racist as opposed to actively committing hate crimes. Hate crimes that is invoked. Don't don't do that. What score do you think you're keeping? What game do you think you're playing? You are. You don't have the right to just own that and act like it's a, a badge, a, a matter of pride and honor. Fuck off. Princeton goes on to angrily denounce Mexican busboys who don't speak, quote, goddamn English. Uh, there is an insistence that everyone, everyone, quote, everyone enjoys, quote, ethnic jokes. So they shouldn't be taken personally. If you hear an ethnic joke, you shouldn't take it personally, ever. White characters lecture a black character, Gary Coleman. They lecture him on the subject of racism. Gary Coleman, uh, he accepts the existence of anti-black jokes. He doesn't fight their presence in the community because he loves telling Pollock jokes. That's what the white characters remind him of. Uh, you know, Gary, you love to tell Pollock jokes. And Gary laughs and he says, oh yeah, I love Pollock jokes. Quote, those stupid Pollocks. They just keep saying. This is where we were in the early 2000s. This is where we were post 9-11. We, we just apparently decided on some level that it was okay to just go to town and excuse this attitude, this shitty, pimply-faced teenager attitude that, I, you know, I can fucking say what I want, and if you fucking think it's dangerous, and if you think it's fucked up, then maybe you need to fucking reevaluate yourself, old man. You fucking... It, it's snowflake talk. It is absolutely... Oh, I'm gonna hold off. I need to hold off just a little bit, because I, I have more examples here. Uh, Gary Coleman goes on to sing about how bigotry has never been exclusively white. That's another quote. As if we don't call it white supremacy for a reason. Uh, Christmas Eve uh, is mocked for her accent, but it's cool because she hates Jews. So it all evens out. Seriously, though, who would want to be the patient of a therapist who believes, quote, the Jews have all the power? Maybe there's a reason you don't have patience Christmas Eve. Maybe it's because you're spouting this fucking invective all over the place. And then at the end, as I said, the cast insists we should put an end to PC culture. So you got all that. You got all those examples. Great. Everything about this song, here we go, reads as make America great again in the wake of Trump's ascension to the White House. And it's not the messaging we need in 2019. This song should not be allowed to live. It, we need to kill it. We need to get rid of this song. Everyone's a little bit racist. Is dangerous. 
It's dangerous and not dangerous in a wow, wild man. Theta can be dangerous sort of way. I mean, actually, intellectually dangerous. If the stated intentions of an artist sound like something Trump would agree with, trash it, dump it. Remember how Trump said, quote, both sides were to blame for the events in Charlottesville? I can't believe how seemingly liberal people fell for this shit back in 2003 and still defend it to this day. And by that, I mean, I can totally believe it. It just disappoints and depresses me to a phenomenal degree. If you like this song and claim you're a liberal progressive person, listen to this song right now and tell me I'm being too harsh because... I I have a feeling you probably haven't sat down with it for a while, but it is truly, it's an embarrassing song. The internet is really, really great. For porn. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For porn. There's always some new site. For porn. I browse all day and night. For porn. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For porn. The internet is for porn. The internet is for porn. What are you doing? Why you think the net was born? Porn, porn, porn. Tracky. Oh, hello, kid monster. You are ruining my song. Oh, me sorry. Me no mean to. Well, if you wouldn't mind, please, being quiet for a minute so I can finish. Okie dokie. The internet is for porn. Okay, so we mentioned how Trekkie initially loved Star Trek, and then that evolved into him loving porn. Uh, He sings about his love for porn in this song, The Internet is for Porn. But for the purposes of Avenue Q School Edition, reboot, the song was retitled and rewritten from the ground up. And the new name of the song for the school edition was My Social Life is Online. I have seen a clip of My Social Life is Online on YouTube, and goodness gracious, is it not funny? Let teenagers sing about porn. That's my takeaway, for fuck's sake. I mean, watching porn can be healthy. I'm I'm gonna stop pushing this particular agenda, but I've made my piece. It's interesting to note how, from this song onward, the show never tries to be as political as it is during the racism number. From here on out, the show is decidedly safer and resting comfortably in the land of PG-13 raunch. My question is, why bother with the racism song at all? You had enough pent-up energy to shoot that one meaningful wad of satire, and now you're going to sleep through the rest of the evening? Ugh, Jesus Christ, did we give the show way too much credit back in the day. But hey, you know, it's you know it's making it clear that, you know, there are many people who watch porn, and it's not something that we should judge. Kate Monster throughout this show is sort of sickened by the idea of people who watch pornography. But as Tricky Monster points out, there are many people who watch pornography, and it is, you know, it's fine. It's not something that Kate should turn her nose up at. Yeah, I think I'm going to give you a brownie point for that. That's a nice sex-positive message. Wait a minute. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Only the guys are shown to be fans of porn? None of the women? Uh, oh, I just... Oh, goodness. Well, if we do that math and we're, we're realizing that, then uh, no, I'm no, that's stupid. Here, I'm going to take that brownie point back, Avenue Q. Women watch porn, too. Stupid show. A mixtape. Made a mixtape. He was thinking of me, which shows he cares. Sometimes when someone has a crush on you, they'll make you a mixtape to give you a clue. 
clue. Let's see. You've got a friend, the theme from Friends. That's what friends are for. Shit. My favorite part of the show, and this should come as a surprise to no one, is when Kate gets to express her vulnerability. This, again, shouldn't come as a surprise when you consider my favorite moments from Shrek the Musical, let's say, allowed its characters to be vulnerable. Mixtape is funny without having to rely on an eye roll, a sneer, or a sigh. The writers are taking a rare moment to focus on character in the midst of their parody show, and I appreciate it. Um... Okay, so you can guess how I feel about the character Lucy the Slut, right? I didn't go into it when I first described her, but I think you can I think you can sort of piece together how I feel about her. This character winds up being knocked unconscious by a penny that is dropped from the Empire State Building, I believe by Kate Monster, but it's fine because you know, she's a slut who stands in the way of Princeton and Kate getting together. Um, you'll notice that I started talking about this song without playing a clip first. That's because I'm not going to play a clip from that song. It's a very forgettable, very unfunny song, and I'm not going to talk about it any further. Okay. Oh my god, Kate, no one's ever touched me like this before. <gasps> you can't put your finger there. <gasps> put your finger there. <gasps> you can be as loud as the hell you want, parenthetical, when you're making love, parenthetical. This was cut from Avenue Q School Edition 12111211 Reboot, and that should be a surprise to no one. <laughs> Porn and sex, they don't exist for teenagers. They can sing about how racism is fine, but, you know, I'll be damned if they sing about sex. My God, I'm the principal of this school. That's the character I'm playing in this moment. Adult puppet humor, man, it really always does. It always comes down to puppets having sex, doesn't it? And I've never found that funny. Uh, the, the image of puppets having sex, it's fucking stupid. I don't think it's funny. I value programming like Sesame Street too much uh, to see that and, and get any enjoyment out of it. I'm not willing to see Sesame Street dragged for the sake of grade school dumpster humor. Another problem with this song is that the baseline joke, that being people are loud when they fuck, is never heightened. It never goes anywhere. It, there, there's no trampoline effect. We don't go anywhere. The, the writers simply assume you'll be on your ass the entire time, rolling in the aisles, completely tickled and gobsmacked by the simple image of puppets in mid-coitus. Not a great referendum on your intelligence, unfortunately. I want you to know the time that we've spent, how great it's been. How much it's meant Gosh, I don't know what to say I'm really glad you feel that way Cause I'm afraid that I like you more Than I've ever liked any guy before Cause now I'm getting what I've always been dreaming of So are you Okay, so 
Uh, fantasies come true. This is when I reveal a lot about myself as a college student. So as I said, I listen to this a lot. Oh, how I would listen to fantasies come true specifically and cry. Oh, how I would cry. I would feel so very, very alone. (laughs) I was relying entirely on the affirmation of others at that point in my life. That'll do it to you if you're in that kind of a state, that kind of a mental state. You wind up listening to fantasies come true from Avenue Q and oh, how you sob. Wicked made me sob too, but that made a lot of people sob. I don't necessarily think I'm in a large group of, I don't think the, (laughs) I don't think the Avenue Q made me cry club is very big, but if you're a member of it and you'd like to let yourself be known, the population needs to know that we exist. We exist too. We cry during fantasies come true. Here's an Avenue Q audition story. Yep. I auditioned for Avenue Q when there was a production being mounted in Chicago. I remember that day specifically because it was a series of weird slash really disheartening moments. I was on my way to the audition space, and as I was walking to the audition space from the train, I saw a dog, and the dog had no owner. Seemingly, it was not on a leash. There were no humans in sight. I was merely walking through a residential area and there was a dog gnawing on a package of tubed bologna, ripping back the plastic, ravenous, trying to get at that sweet pink meat. Ooh, it wanted that sweet pink meat so much. So I took note of that. I was a little put off by that. And then I, you know, got to the audition space and I sang for my supper. I was trying to get into this production of Avenue Q. And the number one rule, the general number one rule for auditioning for any musical theater show is maybe don't sing a song from the show you're auditioning for. Right? Actors, we know this, right? Unless they explicitly say, you know, you can bring a song from the show if you like. Or sometimes they say, we only want to hear you sing songs from the show that we are mounting. That's fine. But in general, if they don't say those things, you don't do that. I went to college to learn things like that. And yet, for the purposes of this Avenue Q audition, I decided to go on with Fantasies Come True. I know, it's stupid. During the audition, the accompanist was... In no way in sync with me, we were not able to establish a rhythm. And so it went poorly, and they were like, thank you. And I was like, you're welcome. And I left the room. And as I was leaving the audition space, I walked by this open door that led into an office. And this office had a very shitty desktop PC on a desk, and there was some music playing. And that song was Gary Jules' cover of Mad World from Donnie Darko, if you remember that version of the song from Donnie Darko. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces. No one was in the office. And yet this song was playing. I just, I almost turned up to the sky and said, you know what? Fuck you, God. This, this, this is nonsense. I get it. This isn't my day. Creepy hellhound. Bad audition. Creepy emo cover that you would hear in Hot Topic. I get it. It's not my day. Do I like Fantasies Come True? Yes, I, I do. Again, it's a it's a song that has real heart to it, and that's very rare for this show. So I, I, I'm going to give Fantasies Come True my thumbs up. It's a rare thumbs up during this analysis, but I do like it.
also really like the heartfelt emotion in There's a Fine, Fine Line, which is Kate Monster's other big solo. It's her big, you know, kind of Torch song-esque number late into the show. Uh, were the Kate Monster songs written by an entirely different team with completely different goals and instincts? Because this song, which it, it's great, it really is good. Uh, it, the song makes me want to watch a Broadway puppet musical that is only genuine and sweet in its intentions. I, I, I don't really have any time for the raunch humor in this show anymore. I want more of this stuff. I like Kate's indignation here, how she knows that, you know, she is growing and becoming tougher as a result of getting through her tough times, her painful experiences. She sings, you've got to go after the things you want while you're still in your prime. Talk about a, a feminist declaration. Hell yeah. I mean, you go, Kate, you get yours and you don't need Princeton to be happy, except for the fact, oh, I was so, uh, she gives him a pass at the end of the show and she kind of lets the, she leaves the door open for him to put his creepy smelly foot in and oh he's gonna get a foothold on you kate he's a bad person i was gonna give the show a brownie point but mm, they they do kate dirty at the end of her plot i don't like the fact that she kind of lets him in a little bit so i'm gonna take that brownie point back all right get off your ass and stop worrying everyone's getting together to mess around the city today have fun when i say everyone that includes you there is life outside your apartment. I know it's hard to conceive, but there's life outside your apartment, and you're only gonna see it if you leave. The messaging in There is Life Outside Your Apartment is way too tidy. I sort of summarize this song with, with the paraphrase of stop being depressed and go do something fun. Go get laid. It's a very, you know, anti-snowflake message yet again. This idea that we're allowed to feel our feelings and process on our own time, on our own terms, and on our own grounds. No, that's bullshit. Just go out and, like, drink. Come on, go to the movies, do some push-ups. You know what it is? It's very Adam Carolla. <laughs> this show is Adam Carolla. Oh, goodness gracious. Not written down, not planned. This is absolutely Adam Carolla's favorite musical. Fuck Adam Carolla. <laughs> What really reads as unrealistic in this song is the idea that your friends will rally around you if they think you are trying to isolate yourself, this idea that they will save you. That's not true. Talk about something I learned during my 20s. The chances of someone coming to save you are slim to none. No one can save you but you. If I may get on my soapbox and get on my high horse again, no one can love you but you. If you're not going to ask for help, no one's going to know you need help. And sometimes it's okay. It's Sometimes it is okay to just stay inside and work things out on your own. You know, if you need help, ask for help. I hope that you can. But you should also be allowed, people should respect your privacy and your, your need to kind of have time on your own. Introversion is not inherently bad, Avenue Q. Man, has this show sent me down a psychological rabbit hole. Caroline or Change inspired an exciting brand of anxiety within me. It was sort of thrilling to feel that anxiety. Avenue Q just inspires the sort of anxiety that comes with embarrassment. This show is embarrassing me. I feel dumb sitting here and talking about it. Just remembering my time listening to it this week, it all oh, embarrasses me. The song is fine. The song is fine. There's a crummy joke about androgynous slash trans people in this song that I clearly don't like or approve of, but I, uh, I feel so drained, mama. Mama! Papa! The more you love someone, the more you want to care them. The more you love someone, the more he make you cry. The 
point where we are discussing the song The More You Rub Someone, which is uh, Christmas Eve's big song. Uh, Anne Harada, who played Christmas Eve in the original Broadway production, has been a staunch advocate for how that role should be cast in the face of many companies casting non-Japanese or purely white performers in the role. For example, a Cincinnati theater insisted it was embracing diversity because uh, the actor who was in their production who played Christmas Eve, uh, she appeared white to audiences and critics. A critic even noted it in his review. But they they claim no, we're embracing diversity because their actor had a great 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 grandmother who was Maui and from Tahiti. That Asian heritage was apparently enough for them as they didn't want to be the arbiter on who was or who wasn't Asian enough for the role. If it sounds like they're stretching with that justification, it's because they are stretching. And I'm glad there are people like Harada who stand up for Japanese representation. I realize I'm dedicating a really small blip of time to this subject, so if you have any additional thoughts, please email me again. I say that. Uh, the consistent gag with Christmas Eve is that she has a stereotypically Japanese accent, uh, hence the title of the song, The More You Rub Someone. Uh, this is definitely contributing to the show's shock jock style of humor. You're supposed to think... Whoa, am I allowed to laugh at this? Such revolution, such revelation. I don't think the character is funny as written, but if Harada and other Japanese performers think it's a role of value, one that's worth pursuing and realizing on stage, I'm not going to speak against that. Here's me in my lane, and I'm more than happy to stay within my lane. Beep beep. Watching a vegetarian being told she just ate chicken. <laughs> A frat boy realized just what he put his dick in. Being on an elevator when somebody shouts, hold the door! No! Schadenfreude! Fuck you, lady, that's what stairs are for. (laughs) How about straighty students getting bees? is getting STD. Waking dormant from their naps. Watching tourists reading maps. Football players getting tackled. CEOs getting shackled. Watching actors never reach the ending, ending of their Oscar speech. Schadenfreude. With Schadenfreude, I thought I'd be more willing to give it a pass as I remember enjoying it a lot as a student. 
But at this point during my sit-down, I was so exhausted by the show's bullying attitude. It really does. It has a bullying spirit. I actually don't think it's funny when people who have done nothing wrong, who are experiencing loss or pain or humiliation, I don't think it's funny when I see them going through that. I think they mentioned like a waiter dropping a tray of glasses, figure skaters falling on their asses, people out in the rain were punching down. That's what the crooks above us want. We have to start punching up, not fighting amongst ourselves. Come on, Avenue Q. This is another song that would feel more at home in a cabaret or sketch review than in a book musical, since it really does, especially in Act 2. It keeps the plot stuck in a... uh, It keeps it in place instead of encouraging it to move forward. It may succeed in generating some caveman laughs deep into that second act, but those cavemen are going to be checking their cave watches while they cave chuckle trust. Per Wikipedia, the money song was a moment where the cast would go out into the audience and collect money from the audience. All the money they collected uh, from the audience members uh, during this number is donated to Broadway Cares slash Equity Fights AIDS. That's great. I never knew that until I did the research on this show. Uh, So I'll cling to any shred of positivity I can. I'm not going to take this brownie point back. I'm going to give this to you. It's yours to keep. Let's see if you can earn any more throughout the rest this. We only have one song left, though, so let's see. Let's see what happens here. Only for song for now, I did find myself appreciating the reminder that finding your purpose or, you know, achieving success, these are ephemeral concepts, and the dogged pursuit of them can make you miserable in the process. Princeton becomes miserable because he still doesn't believe he has found uh, worth. He doesn't think he has worth. He hasn't found his place in the world yet, and the other characters say, you know, that's fine. It's it's fine. Stop beating yourself up. And I can definitely relate to the idea of, you know, beating yourself up too much. Self-care and the love of those you hold close, that's what's going to sustain you. Not, you know, not intangible, intangible definitions of success, financial or otherwise. So don't break yourself by putting too much of an emphasis on career or other gains. Life is not largely lived at extreme highs or lows anyway. This is what the song reminded me of as well. Much of it is lived right in that uncomfortable, sometimes wearisome middle. And that's fine. That's normal. You can't live in a state of happiness all the time. This is a healthy, productive message that is relevant in 2019. Uh, congrats, Avenue Q. Uh, for once, you're really impressing me with this messaging. You're not 100% outdated, so you, you can take that home with you. And as a reward, I am going to give you another brownie point. I'm going to give you another brownie point. On the other hand, you know, during this song, as you know, the, the cast is singing about your sadness being something that is only for now, they give a lot of other examples of what is only for now. And one of them on the original album is George Bush. They say George Bush is only for now. And you know that has changed. In 2019, you know that that joke has been replaced by Donald Trump. 
But how many people understand that the show emulates Trump's values more than those of progressives? How many people are as smart as I am is the real question here. The question that hangs over every episode of The Musical Man. Thank you for listening each and every week, my musical minions. And yes, Avenue Q, I am taking back the brownie point because I know that you're citing Donald Trump by name in your show. And I know that you shouldn't be getting away with that. You shouldn't be getting progressive liberal credit. Stop it. No brownie point for you. Thus, we end our song deconstruction portion of the episode, and now we are going to get a very special message from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away. Coming out of the mists in which I reside Here comes a lady from whom you cannot hide It's me, the woman in white The woman in white is my name And I have a secret, a secret I am here to tell you about a product that you may not be aware of (laughs) It's going to inspire such warmth inside you It's going to produce a warmth that I cannot feel because I am dead. I am a ghost that walks the moors, I do say. But this product, what is the name of it, you might think? Well, the brand is one you're probably familiar with. It's 5678 Coffee, but it's a new variant on an old favorite. This is 5678 Orange Grove. (laughs) That's true. This is 5678 Coffee as you've never tasted it before. It has a citrus zest. It has a citrus burst in every sip. Oh, how it takes me back to those sun-kissed days when I felt the warmth of the sun, when I would pluck the oranges from Father's Grove, and I would feel the weight of those sun-kissed oranges in my hand, and now all I feel is nothing. I have a great gaping chasm inside me, and my throat produces nothing more than strangled cold coughs. Hackam, hackam, hackam. Ah, so, if you are unlike me, if you have the ability to pluck real oranges, pick up a real mug of 5678 Coffee Orange Grove, then do it today. 5678 Coffee, it's not a secret anymore. Final thoughts regarding Avenue Q. I used to think Avenue Q was funny. I no longer think Avenue Q is funny. Many of the songs are catchy, but as listener Liz Anderson recently reminded me, quote, catchy is not the same as good. I agree, Liz. I still appreciate the emotional material for Kate Monster, that much I know, but her songs seem out of step with a show that's chiefly obsessed with shock jock bullshit humor. In 2004, Avenue Q, as I said right at the top of the show, it won the Tony Award for Best Musical. The other nominees that year were Carolina Change, which we have discussed on the podcast, Wicked, and The Boy from Oz. Avenue Q should not have won Best Musical. Carolina Change should have won Best Musical. How dare you even ask me that question? Should Avenue Q have won Best Musical? Get out of here! Honestly, the audacity of you. Get out of here. When it comes to ranking the show, I'm putting it at the bottom of the list. 
That's right. Why the bottom, you might be asking? Because Everyone's a Little Bit Racist is the bullet that sends the show tumbling to the bottom of the list. At least Big River is able to admit that racism is a problem that we should do something about, that we should act on. Avenue Q doesn't even make time for that. So congrats, Big River. I no longer think of you as largely disposable. For the show-related ephemera segment, I am going to play a little bit of the only in Vegas song that helped to promote the Steve Wynn Win Hotel and Casino Las Vegas production of Avenue Q. Uh, let's let's hear that now. Only in Vegas can you find Paris and New York. Only in Vegas is my name emblazoned on your fork. We take care of everything so you don't have to think. Sit down at a blackjack table. We'll pour you. Only in Vegas, the ladies advertise their wares. Only in Vegas, where it's hot as hell, but no one cares. If you want to gamble, get the song, or catch a show, Vegas is the place to go. You know, everywhere you go in Las Vegas, you can find unique things, extraordinary things, like five-star restaurants, genuine Picassos and Renoirs, dancing water sculptures, and now, Avenue Q! Again, not funny, um, because it's too busy selling to make any actual jokes. I feel bad for the cast because they have to play chorus to the Steve Wynn puppet that's on stage. This is all from a Regis and Kelly segment. Don't, oh, if, you, if you find the YouTube clip, jump over the introduction because those two are charmless. Ah, yes, to determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel. We haven't been on this carousel for a few weeks now. Otherwise known as, the musical carousel, I should say, is otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, Shogun, I Barely Know Yin. Everyone ready? Then away we go. All right, I have stepped off of the musical carousel and I am determining where we are. Let me look around here. Let me see. Where are we? What show have we landed on? Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, we have landed on... Swinging on a Star, which is, oh boy, I think I've done a little bit of research into this, and I do not think the cast recording is available. We have officially hit one of our challenge shows. I call them challenge shows because they, they prove to be a bit of a challenge. But that's where, that's where we're going next week. Oh, I think that might be a very short episode. <laughs> <laughs> Patty, I think I think we're gonna get uh, I think we're gonna get out early next week. So, Swinging on a Star is gonna be our next show. That is a nominee from 1996, which is the year that Rent won. Weird. Okay, fine, fair. Swinging on a Star versus Rent. Ooh, who's gonna come out on top? Goodness gracious. Uh, so, yeah, Swinging on a Star, that's going to be our next show. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to me. If you're listening to the show and are able to reach into your wallet and uh, financially support the show, you can do that. You can go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. Uh, there are different uh, pay tiers that you can subscribe to. You can give $1 a month, which will earn you a verbal shout-out each and every week. Let's do that now. Verbal shout-outs for Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt. 
at Zach and Marisol. Thank you so much. Uh, $3 a month. Not only are you going to get the verbal shout out, but you'll get a special musical shout out. You've heard those. If you've heard the other episodes in the show, you've heard examples of these musical shout outs. They're always in the style of a composer or character that the listener chooses. So if you donate $3 a month, you get to choose who you want to hear from during a special shout out. If you get, if you give, I should say, $5 a month, you're going to get the verbal and the musical shout-out, and you're going to be able to determine which show I discuss on the podcast. You can choose uh, what I should be looking into. And starting today, the first episode drops today, uh, April 3rd, uh, All I Ask of You. You're going to have access to a special series called All I Ask of You. Patty, we're going to be sitting down with the Phantom of the Opera to record that first episode today, right after this. It's an advice show hosted by him, the Phantom of the Opera, and he is taking letters from musical theater villains and dispensing wise advice to them. So if you want, these are going to be about five to 10 minutes long. So if you want access to that weekly series, donate $5 a month. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, not only will you get all of the incentives I've already described, but you'll have access to a special monthly series known as the Snub Club, in which I deconstruct shows that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Uh, We have discussed Amelie. We have discussed Sondheim's Merrily we roll along. And the episode that will be dropping the final Wednesday of this month, April, is going to be dedicated to the show Flahooly. So I'm looking forward to that very much. Uh, So again, if you are donating already, fantastic. If you choose to donate, thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone across the board. Donations go toward uh, the purchasing of cast recordings, movie rentals, uh, offsetting Podbean costs. And if we ever get to a point where we're netting $100 in total monthly donations, that will result in my producing another series known as the Movie Musical Man, which is dedicated to movie musicals we normally wouldn't encounter in the normal feed. If you're listening to the show through iTunes, please go into the iTunes store and leave a five-star review. Got a nice five-star review just today on the day that I'm recording this. Thank you very much to that listener. Uh, That listener, I was sort of begging people on Twitter to leave a five-star review that would sort of trump the one-star review that we recently got. Uh, So to that listener, I say, please reach out to me, and you are going to get a special little something that I detailed on Twitter. So if you want that, you got to reach out to me and tell me who you are. We are available to stream on Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Uh, we are available via Stitcher, and normally we would be available through Spotify. Something is going on with Spotify in general. Not quite sure what's going on. I'll do a little bit of investigating there. So if you are interested in streaming the show, I would recommend uh, Stitcher or Podbean right now. Spotify seems to be a no-go. We are available on Twitter at musicalmanpod. Uh, subscribe to us or follow us, I should say, like and retweet, help spread the word. You can also email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. That's that email address I mentioned earlier. Thank you very much to Alex Green, who created our beautiful logo, and thank you so much Zach Little, who created our fantastic underscoring music. Uh, And here's the thing that I've been meaning to say for a long time. A lot of podcasts do this, but if you're a fan of the show, reach out. This is a free thing you can do if you can't afford to uh, financially support the show. If you've already written an iTunes review, why not face-to-face IRL recommend the show to someone, one friend, reach out to one friend, grab them by the wrist and say, I gotta talk to you about this show and make them listen to it. Don't let them out of your sight until they do. Oh, oh God. (laughs) That damn doorbell. Oh, that fucking doorbell. Okay, so you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>